So in my studies and as a seeker, um, I started to ask myself some questions and to lean towards hospice care and end of life. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the reality is that in our culture, there's a wretched anxiety at end of life. And so I started asking myself, why? Sorry, this is a new experience for us people, so hang on. Why? Why is it that at the end of life, so many people are experiencing this wretched anxiety? And the first thing I thought was, it's got to be the whole process, right? The process of the body leaving? Turns out it's not true. So the second thing I thought was, it's got to be leaving all of this behind. Also, not true. In fact, the number one thing that most people at end of life are most afraid of is whether or not they will be remembered. So it's sophomore year in college for me, and I've transferred from Nebraska up to Chicago. Uh, partially because I got recruited to play football, and partially because I got into a little bit of trouble. So I find myself in the big city of Chicago, it's August, and uh, I got two a days. Which means I'm practicing in the morning and at night for football. And part of my ritual before practicing before games is to get my ankles taped. So I'm in the trainer's room, hop up on the table, and I'm waiting to see who's going to come take my ankles. And a young guy, no older than me, walks up, says his name's Drew, and begins to take my ankles. And Drew, you know, honestly, was so sweet, so kind. He, he knew I was a new guy on campus, and immediately was asking questions about who I was. It was just the kind of interaction I needed as a new transfer to feel like maybe this was going to be all right. So the next day, I come back to the trainer's office, trainer's room, Pop up on the table, and this time Drew is too busy. He's helping somebody else out. And somebody else tapes my ankles. It just wasn't the same. It was a little sloppy, a little sticky, it just didn't feel right. So I waited till the next day, came back, and I waited for Drew this time. I even told him, I said, Drew, you my friend, got the best taped ankles. And that's how it kind of went for the rest of two days and well into the season. Five days a week, Monday through Friday, and before games, that was Drew and I's time. Five, ten minutes. And you know, we never really talked about anything super deep, but I gleaned that he was uh, interested in becoming a trainer himself. He played on the baseball team. Uh, he actually played on the football team for a little while and switched, uh, switched to baseball. And I told him a little bit how it was I came from small Nebraska all the way up to the big city of Chicago. Well, three months in, we hit October. And it's roughly around Halloween season. And my folks decided to fly out for a game. And I can tell you, at the time, I really wasn't too concerned about the game. The reality was, if we weren't that good, um, <laughs> I expected that we probably would lose. But what I was excited about was the big Halloween party after the game. So the game gets over, and immediately we all rush to our dorms, and we're hurrying to get our, uh, our costumes on. And me and a couple other buddies decided that we were going to go as this kind of James Dean, Fonzie 50s kind of game. So you can imagine it, right? Like it's uh, jeans, white t-shirts, slick back hair, and these awful, awful faux leather jackets that we got from Goodwill. And to make it even better, we decided to spray paint uh, nicknames on the back. So we had T-Beer and J-Hop, and I was P-Schlock. Each with our own like, ace of spades, ace of hearts. You get the idea. 
So at the time, this school was a uh, private school, so it was a dry campus. And also, uh, the sexes were separated. So girls were on one side, we were on the other side of campus. And so we walked across, picked up the girls in their pool skirts, filed into the car, and away we went. And I can remember at the time, Chicago seemed so ominous, it seemed so big as we drove into the city to find the party. It seemed like as if it just kind of swallowed us in. We took lefts, we took rights. Before we knew it, I had no idea where I was. Before I know it, I'm climbing stairs, listening to bass, just bumping above me, knowing that we're almost there. And sure enough, we get to the top of the stairs, open the door, and the party's just in full effect, a complete ruckus. I got a banana man over here dancing in the corner. I got other guys with oversized hats over here. And I quickly just kind of beeline it straight to the kitchen to grab a beer. And as I get there, kind of settle in, observe everything. It's like, all right, it's a good party. Well, no sooner than I kind of get myself settled, there's like a knock at the door, and it seemed as if the whole room stopped. I'm sure it was still going, but it seems as if everything just kind of stopped and walks through. He's high-fiving people, he's shaking hands. I mean, it was, Drew's a handsome guy. He's well-known on campus. He walks in, he's, he's saying hi, everybody, and the funny thing is, Drew didn't even have a costume on. He's just that cool. Like, honestly. So he makes his way, and before I know it, he's coming right at me. And I'm thinking, you know, high five. But no. And Drew swoops in, puts his hands on my waist, and just lays a big old kiss on my cheek. Says, how are you, buddy? And to that point in my life, from a peer, let alone another athlete, I've never experienced that type of affection from somebody. Really, really sweet, and to this day I always remember it. So we talked for a little bit, and to be honest, Drew, he left just because he came in. Came in for a wee bit, we talked, asked him where he was going, said he was going to go see a girl. I said, oh, which girl think I might know? He said, oh no, not on campus, downtown. Oh. <laughs> and off he went, he's gone. The rest of us kind of closed things down. You know, we, uh, we partied until the show was over, and uh, we headed home. And I can remember, we piled in the car to head back to campus, and there was a little bit of that fear of like, okay, make sure we don't get pulled over, like drive safe. And there was, there was cops out. There was a whole bunch of them flying by. But we made it past that, got home, got to our dorm room, safe and sound, went to sleep. The next morning, I got up, first thing I did was call my folks, make sure they got to the airport okay, thanked them again for coming to the game. Uh, the next thing I decided to do was go hop on my computer, go check out this new thing called Facebook. <laughs> so I hop on the computer, and as I look, I'm seeing all these different statuses, and everything says, Rip Drew, Rip Drew. I'm thinking, this is really weird, R-I-P Drew. At the time, that word meant nothing to me, and yet I could tell something wasn't right. So I quickly hopped off went over to the girls' dorm, to one of the girls that had that posted on her Facebook. Down the hall, knocked on the door, and she opened I said, hey, what's going on? I don't quite understand. She closes the door behind her, takes a deep breath, and proceeds to tell me that she was dead. You see, Drew was taking the L train down to Chicago. It's about 15 minutes from campus, and it's run on electricity. And in between the two cars, there's exposed wiring. And so you can cross between cars, and you can also sometimes get out in between cars. And I don't really know what happened. I'll always kind of wonder. 
But somewhere along his trip from that party to where he was going, he decided to get off at the wrong spot and he electrocuted himself to death. I immediately turned on my heels and went back to my dorm room. Didn't know what to do with this. Called my folks up immediately, asked them to come, and sure enough, bless their hearts on a dime, turned, rescheduled their flight, and came to sit with me. Didn't know what to feel. Never experienced that before. Slowly but surely, eventually got me to a place where I was okay with them heading on and took off. Within a couple of days, there was a memorial service. And as I walked down to the chapel, found a, a seat, sat down, all that came to my head was, should I be feeling this? I looked out, I saw different groups of people who all knew Drew, or leaning on each other, crying. Nobody knows who I am. I'm sitting here thinking, do I even deserve to be here? I don't even know Drew's last name, to be honest with you. A week goes by, eventually we have a funeral service. At this point, I wasn't so sure I could go to this by myself. Thankfully, a teammate of mine was also going and invited me to go with him. So we get to the church. As we open the doors, there's a line to get into the chapel. Now I'm thinking this is a line to slowly get us in and usher us in. It turns out it's a line to walk past the open casket. And if any of you have been to a funeral, which I'm guessing some of you have, you know there's a difference between an open casket and a funeral service. This is my first funeral service, and I'm walking in, and before I know it, I'm feet away from Drew's body. I can feel all these emotions of, should I be here? Is it okay for me to feel this? I'm not even sure, like, people don't know my connection to Drew. Is this okay? Moments later, I'm in front of Drew's casket, and my knees buckle, and I lean heavy on my teammate, and just lose it. I'm sitting there, I'm looking at his body, trying to figure out, how did this happen? You know, I want to grab his hands, I want to look at them. You know, what, what did you do, Drew? What, what happened? You're too young. So you can imagine these caskets, caskets here, there's curtains overhead, two windows, and some shades. As I looked at all his jerseys and pictures of him around his body, very aware that this is not Drew, I looked up and saw the shades just kind of dance a little bit. I just kind of took that in. Eventually, I took my seat and the funeral progressed. Many people talking about just what do we do with this when someone young dies and how amazing Drew was. But I think it was his dad at the very end that really brought it home for me. Um, he spoke about how Drew really did love people. He really did just care about his fellow man. But he also said, you know, Drew is a bit of a trickster, a bit of a jokester. And so he concluded by saying, you know, if the lights ever flicker, if you feel like someone taps you on the shoulder, or maybe the shades dance, it's likely that Drew's trying to say something. So I asked, what is the greatest fear for people at the end of life? It's whether or not they will be remembered. It's been 10 years. I remember you, Drew.